Pushkin. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. Before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision and her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. Today we have part four of our John Frusciante Returns series. This is the latest installment of Rick Rubin's ongoing series of in-depth interviews with the Red Hot Chili Peppers guitarist. And if this is the first interview you're hearing, make sure to go back and check out the first three parts and also John's appearance from earlier in the year promoting Unlimited Love. Today, we'll hear John Fushante play through some more of his guitar parts. Then he'll explain how he came up with some of the best guitar melodies in modern rock history. John also talks about how playing along to classic heavy metal albums from Black Sabbath and Van Halen, along with dancing all night at drum and bass clubs, helped shape his style on the 2002 album, By The Way. He also explains how listening to Brandy, Destiny's Child, and Wu-Tang Clan helped influence his playing on Stadium Arcadium. This is Broken Record, liner notes for the digital age. I'm Justin Richmond. Here's part four of Rick Rubin with John Frusciante from Shangri-La. So over the course of touring for Californication, did you feel like you came back guitar-wise to where you could play like you could before in terms of your strength and skill i did but when it came time to record by the way i didn't want to go back to that kind of Jimi yeah. hendrixy way of playing the style change yeah like i wanted to go even further with what i felt were the real developments on yeah. californication i was really into 60s music at the time i was really into surf guitar style uh, like i'd learned about certain things because i played a bit that way on Californication, mm-hmm. mainly being inspired by by the guy from Bow Wow Wow and stuff. But I guess Johnny had shown me the ventures and stuff. And then uh, Jerry from Fugazi showed me the shadows, which I didn't know about. 
and Johnny wasn't super familiar with either. And they were really good. It was just like an English version of surf guitar music. Yeah. And they were really popular in England from, yeah. you know, all the Beatles stories I hear. Yeah. Well, especially cause they were Cliff Richard's backing band and he I was see. the biggest rock. Oh, and roll I didn't thing. know that. Yeah. He was that. the biggest English rock and roll thing before the Beatles. So, I see. so that was just Hank Marvin, his guitar player sort of had his side thing was Hank Marvin in the shadows. And they were huge. Like they were an instrumental band and they were like, they were one of the biggest things in England for the, with the kids before the Beatles. So I got really into learning all, while we were touring for Californication, I got really into learning how to play all the Shadows stuff and playing along with the Ventures all the time. And, and, and I was seeing the commonality between that surf guitar sense of melody and synth pop sense of melody. Yeah. To me, they have something in common. And so for, when when we started writing for by the way my, i think i just i didn't want to have any blues in my playing like if flea brought in something that seemed bluesy to me even in a funk way i didn't like it like mm -hmm. it wasn't so much i was trying to control flea or anything i just really didn't like yeah anything that had that feeling it was like just at that time where i had landed Really great blues song on the new album, by the way. Right. <laughs> yeah, Carry Me Home. Yeah. Yeah, the working title was New Blues, as you remember. Yeah. But yeah, like, you know, right after that on Stadium Arcadium, I was really into blues. And, yeah. and I had a new take on it by that time. Like, by that time, I was playing along with Jimi Hendrix a lot and learn learning his improvised solos a lot, like, in a more detailed way than I'd ever learned them in my whole life. I was listening to a lot of modern R&B at the time. So I was mm -hmm. listening to like Destiny's Child and mm -hmm. Brandy. Brandy was my favorite. And her sense of rhythm and her sense of melody, that blues, the blues that's in that, I felt like I want to take that feeling and combine it with Jimi Hendrix's guitar playing mm -hmm. style. Like to have Brandy be my basic reference rather than like, you know, Elmore James or whatever yeah, <laughs> old, old things, you know, it made it feel fresh to me. Like, mm -hmm. and I was doing a lot of the, what we were talking about last time where you're, you're not playing straight across the bar. You're not, you're not on a grid. You're not on a 16th note grid. You're kind of speeding up and slowing down and playing because she was singing like that and really good. And Method Man was, Wu-Tang in general was rapping like that, especially on their first couple of records. And so like, I was like obsessing on all that music and feeling like I got to put this kind of rhythm in my solos and in my playing and stuff. So like there were times where I was like, because of the Frank Zappa, you know, education, like there's one song uh, we believe on that album stayed in Arcadium. And like, I'm for a lot of the reverse guitar part, I'm playing quintuplets. I'm playing five against four, mm -hmm. but I'm doing it in this way that I'm hearing on rap records. Cause when they're doing it, they just have five words and they're going to land on the one on the next bar That's by fine. the sixth word. Yeah. And so, and so like, as long as you land, as long as you punctuate what you're doing on the one, you can fit any, any amount of notes in between. And that's what I was hearing in a lot of this R and B and rap. So that's what sort of got my excitement about incorporating blues into the band again. That's what it was got me new, excited about it. was a new it. version of the blues. It yeah. was a, a way that it hadn't been played before. Yeah. So that started with By the Way, where like, and when By the Way started, I had all these ideas for these 
uh, certain types of melodic things. And I was learning more about chords than ever because I'm practicing piano for the first time in my life out of songbooks. So, and that was affecting the way that I played guitar because I'm seeing chords more clearly than I'd ever seen them before. Understanding the Beatles music better than I'd ever understood it before. And yeah, continuing to listen to the synth pop. Also going out to drum and bass clubs to dance every week. So the song, by the way, was the result of of having been at a club the night before playing drum and bass and sometimes jungle. Would, the, would going out dancing in, inspire the way you played guitar? At yeah, all? exactly. Like that, how, how? How would that work? Well, the song at the end of that album, Venice Queen. Yeah. The way I'm just trying to play it. I mean, it's 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 not like it's a way that nobody ever played the guitar. I don't know if I can do it justice right now. I'm not super warmed up, but That's okay. But but uh, just for the idea. But but the song has a whole intro that's slower, but then it has a fast part that comes in, and the rhythms I'm doing on the guitar. If you listen to it, it sounds like a jungle drummer, like improvising. Like it sounds like the kind of stuff people were programming then, like. So what's particularly interesting about that is the right hand. I imagine is the right what's hand. unusual. Yeah, the right hand. I'm tr- I'm 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 basically. There's more parts to it than that. Where it, let's see if I remember the chords. Where I'm going even more. But. So like the the way I'm playing there is definitely I'm trying to play the way I hear the drums at the drum and bass club, you know. Yeah. Chad's kind of just going boom. He's not really doing a lot of ghost snares that I can tell but but I'm trying to play all those uh all those kind of rhythms that a lot of the time really cool. And because it's the the chords are I can say it's an ordinary chord progression, it's cool. It's a cool ordinary chord progression. But the rhythm makes it sound like very new right. and very different. Right. And like it has a who like energy, but you never hear Pete Townsend playing a rhythm like that. Right. Yeah, like like that's that 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 would be a good comparison, but yeah, not that precise rhythm. It wouldn't be that. No, you know? it sounds almost like a programmed rhythm. Right. Yeah. So so yeah, so 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 that was a big influence on it. And, and what's cool about that, like I never knew that. Right. But it always sounded interesting to me. I never knew why. Right. But it's like this doesn't sound like the Who. You yeah. know, it does, it re, there's something else going on. I never stopped to analyze what it was. Yeah. But hearing how it happened is fascinating. Yeah, because I would go. It was on Thursday nights. There was this club, Concrete Jungle, in Silver Lake. So I would go there and dance all night. There was this girl who used to go there with me. And yeah, I'd just be dancing. So when I get to rehearsal, like I'd want to put that kind of energy into the. Mm-hmm into the band a lot of the time that was just the rhythms that were going through my head and but when we started the record I, as you remember I, I had a 
there was another side to it. Like, like I wanted to do, like, I was really into the damned at the time. Yeah. And I wanted to do like, I wanted to do punk, like in a way that the band hadn't done it, you know, like I wanted to do real punk, you know, like inspired by like early English punk and stuff. And so I thought we would do the, my original concept was that we would have like these sixties inspired melodic songs I was re- I was really into discharge as well I remember and I just that I we would have discharge. like sort of straight punk not straight I don't know what you call it but just like real punk as opposed to punk inspired pop yes. like I wanted to do like actual I, w- I was writing songs that to me sounded like like actual punk so I thought the album would have this like you know stark contrast between really pretty things and these punk things and and at a certain point you said to me these the the punk things that you're bringing in they're good but it sounds like i've it's i i feel like i've heard it before uh-huh. these melodic things that you're bringing in i feel like i've never heard anything like it in my life yeah you know so you definitely like guided me away from from continuing in the pretty early on as i remember it but we had made we had written a bunch of stuff like there was there was a certain amount of yeah, I really the, loved The Damned, and maybe it was just like, I feel like I've heard this before. But yeah. I've had that feeling before, you know, like, I didn't really get Guns N' Roses because I felt like I already experienced this. This, right. this doesn't feel new to me. But a, a, a neat thing to me about that album is that kind of what we were talking about, about the chords or this implied thing that's underneath, but yeah. what Flea and I are playing over them yeah. is something that that's separate from that. That's how it was with musical styles for that album. Like, to me there is a punk energy there in the mm-hmm. record despite that we're never we're never going in that sort of distorted you mm-hmm. know like obviously punk direction and at the same time uh, another sort of underlying aspect was that every time there was a day of rehearsal that Flea and Anthony couldn't go for whatever reason maybe there was a game or one of them was busy with something, so we were supposed to not rehearse that day. Chad was always up for rehearsing anyway so me and Chad, from time to time throughout the writing of that record would get together. I'd just say to him, uh, let's play the whole first Black Sabbath album. And me and him would just go there and all he needs to do to learn how to play a record is listen to it while he's driving in his car on the way, you know. And then he can just play it. He can just play it. it, <laughs> that, it it's the fact that it's drums. There's only so many drums. He, all he has to do is yeah. listen to it to be able to play it. Yeah. Like for guitar, you have to do a little more like work. So we would play whole albums of Black Sabbath, Van Halen, and Ozzy Osbourne. We were doing Diver Madman, and, or at least we were doing a bunch of the songs from that and Blizzard of Oz, but it was just guitar and drums, but we were doing these heavy metal rehearsals of Deep Purple as well. We were doing whole, we did a whole album of Machine Head, whole album Great. of In Rock. Great. Like, so we would just pick an album and we'd show up and we'd just play that whole album not straight through, like sometimes we'd have to stop so I could explain the, the arrangement. No, it does this part for this long or whatever it is because he hasn't focused on it how yeah. I have. But like, but we'd get through the whole album of all those things. And when I hear that album, I hear that in the connection of Chad and my playing. Like yeah. it's in there. It's not, there's no, there's no real heavy metal on the album, no. but it's not an album by people who can't, play heavy metal yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean like yeah like chad and i were really dialed into it at the yeah. time i always feel like it's cool to have things like that i feel it like it seems like if you're good at 
any aspect, even if it's not being demonstrated, it makes what you're doing better. Has to. Right. It has to. And it has, not only does it have to make it better, but it, it informs it in some way that you, that can't be explained. Right. Yeah, no, totally. I feel like it's, it's magical to have things that you can do that you're not throwing on the surface for people to see. Yeah. The way I play on that album, it's, it's real synth pop based, uh, new wave based surf guitar based style. Yet, at home, I was playing along with Van Halen and playing those solos. Like I, I was probably never as good at playing Eddie Van Halen stuff as I was at the time of By the Way. Yeah, and, the, I, and the album's nothing, nothing like, like that. that. There's not a hint of that in the way that I play. Yeah, I feel like it's in there still. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah. There's a certain confidence between yes. the way that I'm playing those simple things that I'm playing and a certain precision in the accenting of things and in the rhythm playing. It's it's a lot of things that I got from his style that just aren't the obvious, yeah. you know, uh, frontal parts of his style. So, yeah, I think I think it adds a magic to things when there's something hidden. Yeah. yeah. What I remember is my favorite song on that album, although I don't remember and I haven't listened in a while, is um, that Universally Speaking's on that album, isn't mm-hmm. it? I like that one a lot. Yeah. And that one has just a, it doesn't sound like any other Chili Pepper song. And it definitely sounds like it's rooted in, you know, maybe early 60s music more than late 50s music. Yeah. I was just watching something that made a comparison between two things that universally fits into. Uh, oh, okay. So they were talking about uh, the first song on Brian Eno's album, uh, Here Come the Warm Jets. It goes. drums are going and then waiting for my man it's the same rhythm basically when you put the i saw it on youtube somebody had put those two things next to each other and they said look the 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 Eno song is obviously inspired by the Velvet Underground song. And universally speaking, I don't know if I made the connection to the Eno thing, but I was trying to do something like Velvet Underground. I thought we should have something that's just like a straight rhythm. All our songs have these funky wow. kind of syncopated kind of rhythms to them. Like that would be cool if we had a song that just had a real straight rhythm to it like that. So I don't, you know, I don't remember specifically what, song but it is the same type That's of rhythm as waiting really for interesting so i don't i don't hear velvet underground in it at all right at all yeah but yeah for, for in ours it was a so it's partially like coming yeah, I was definitely trying to do something that was a Velvet Underground type wow, groove. What I saw amazing. as being their type of groove. Yeah, and and it's that and it same also drum the beat. drum beat, if I remember correctly, is more like a Motown. It's like a. I ba, think you ba, might have added ba, the drum beat. Ba, might have, 
but it's definitely different than everything else we ever did. It was it's a really right. unique song. Right. And I think we might have oboes on it too. Or bassoons. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's really cool orchestra stuff. Yeah, there, yeah. That was inspired by uh Sonny and Cher. Right. From my perspective, it was just like, oh, there's a sound on Sonny and Cher, so I never heard it on anything else. Like maybe we can get that instrument. That's so cool because I remember I remember specifically trying to do a velvet like like thinking it should be a straight rhythm like the Velvet Underground. But I also remember you being the one who suggested that drum beat. Yeah. Yeah. If I would have known we were going for Velvet Underground, I wouldn't have suggested that. But that's the drum beat. Yeah, that's what's so cool about it. Is it as well? Well, that's what I was saying, is that the Eno song has that drum beat of Universally Speaking. Wow. Waiting for the Man has that drum beat. Wow. Yeah. So so all three of those songs have that beat. Yeah. I have a feeling everyone got it from Motown, is my guess. yeah, Yeah, you're right. Even though yeah. everything comes from the Velvet Underground, like everything else comes from Velvet <laughs> no, Underground. No, but the Motown comes but before that. Beat that probably comes from Motown. Yeah, you know, totally. And that's really what Lou Reed wished he was, was a soul singer, I think. <laughs> Anyways, I think I've heard him say. I remember Anthony sang that song different than all the other songs, too. Yeah. He sang in a lower in a, in a lower key than he normally sings, like, like a bassy voice. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah. It's such an interesting record. I know. There's so much there's so many surprises when I listen to that record like after having not heard it for a yeah. long time. I'm like, whoa, how the fuck did I do that? I didn't know anything about synthesizers. How did I do that? So cool. <laughs> yeah. We'll be back with more from Rick and John after the break. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to three percent daily cash back on every purchase. Plus, Apple Card has no fees, not even hidden ones. Apply for Apple Card now in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Variable APRs for Apple Card range from 19.24% to 29.49% based on credit worthiness. Rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at applecard.com. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs, on-demand, temp to hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer helped shape the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. 
Lovingly dubbed the Boar's Nest, Sue's Place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, would spur each other on to tap into something bigger, realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Bacharach as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the Boar's Nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of Outlaw Country Music. Listen now at audible.com slash the Boar's Nest. We're back with more from Rick Rubin and John Frusciante. I think there's something really fun about putting on instruments you don't know how to play. Yeah. Do you know, like, like it's the same reason that the first version of a new style of music is, is interesting. It's because the person who's making it doesn't yeah. even really know what it is yet. Yeah, you're in the process of figuring it out. You kind of, you can never beat that. No, you know? it's like, so exciting. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good argument to always, like, pick up a different instrument and just get sounds out of it. Yeah. It's my understanding that David Bowie, when he record records, he'd have the person still trying to figure this out what to play and he'd stop them at the point where they were just about to figure it out. That's when he'd stop them. Like he'd be like, that's when he caught what he wanted to catch. He doesn't want the sound. Before they figured it out. Right before they figured it out. Yeah. Like he doesn't, he didn't want the sound of it once they're confident with it, he yeah, wants it yeah, just yeah. as they're as it's just becoming clear to them. Yeah. That's the groove with, that he wanted to hear, you know. So he'd often stop people like before they felt. I they, think they'd Bob, only done Bob like Dylan one or two takes. Would yeah. often would play a song once or maybe twice before, and no one else in the, in the room had ever heard the song before. Yeah. So like you'd played along whatever sounded right, and that would be it. Yeah, but again, like uh, aside from the Velvet Underground, like. That that groove of where that the guitar is generally doing for a lot of that song, like where where you're going hard soft, it's, the Ramones like they have that in their music like over and over. It's a lot of fast downstrokes, but a lot of the time, where are these chords coming groove, from? Because these are really like, interesting chords, though. You know, you but do t- like talk, one, Tell me about the chords. The, oh, the that? Universally, yeah. You know, I was just playing along with the Beatles a lot and learning all their songs and feeling more free with chord progressions than I'd ever felt. Like previously, the stuff that I'd done on like Blood Sugar and Californication, it felt more like formulas that I knew that chord progression works. It's in a lot of songs. This mm-hmm. chord progression works. It's mm-hmm. in a lot of songs. You know what I mean? Yeah. This was where, by the way, I'm starting to sort of create chord progressions from scratch. Sort of there, there's not a, there's not a it's, template. It's, yeah. It's not a, it's not a formula. It's almost like I started seeing chords as harmonies rather than chord progressions mm-hmm. per se. So I'm, I'm seeing it as a certain kind of harmonic movement and and I'm starting to do interesting what's called modulations where like when when I'm doing this, you're basically like in an A major thing. We're still in an A major thing, but when I go, that chord is unexpected. 
that's all of a sudden it has a B minor feel to it when I go to that G chord. I haven't even gone to the B minor chord, but all of a sudden you get a minor, even though it's a major chord that I've gone to, you get a minor feeling when it goes to that G. I'm starting to figure out things like that, that doing these kind of I, I was starting to see these patterns that they used in classical music and stuff, but comprehending what the idea was, not taking somebody else's pattern, but seeing, oh, I see I can, instead of thinking of it as chords, I can think of it as just general harmonic movement. Yeah. The first two of the chords in the bram, bram, is um, also, I never, again, never heard it in the, in the song, but hearing it just like that played slowly, it reminds me of um, the chords in the Led Zeppelin song. I don't know the name of the song. I think he's in a different tuning in that song, so I can't play it. But it, like, I was just playing along with a couple of Beatles songs that I would put in this category. Like, like, um, okay, the, and you're. You know that, and your bird can sing. Yep. Yeah, like so it cool. sounds like it's going to be one of those yeah. when you hear the first two chords. It sounds like it's going. It's not the same two chords exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. but that idea of where 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 you feel where it it's moving, moving down. it's descending in a in a form that we're expecting. Yeah, and then but then that G to B minor changes it. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, that 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 Led Zeppelin song. Oh, I remember seeing a, a YouTube video where a guy is taking apart one of your guitar parts and he's saying that you purposely detuned one of, not 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 that you changed the tuning, but you detuned one string slightly and that's the only way to play the song, that anyone who plays the song plays it wrong because the secret is detuning. Is that possible? Is that true? It wasn't done consciously. I just was out of tune. <laughs> Yeah, like like uh, it, he, it's scar tissue that that's about. My guitar tech told me about that. Like like uh, I, it was it was a fascinating video, right? Yeah, like like I I guess you're gonna you're gonna sound a little. I I get that all the time when I play along with old blues records. Yeah, uh, a lot of the time, the, like electric blues players, you think you think what the, they're playing from is the slightly 50s differently. And 60s, it, no, you just have to tune your guitar to it because each one of their strings is tuned a little a little different like albert king and stuff like that like yeah. when you're learning a song you gradually figure out okay his e string is here you just try to match the the strings for it to sound like it's not for it to not rub yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so in that case i guess one of my strings was a little out of tune and it sounded good so nobody ever said like you would have been sent if it hadn't sounded good you uh, would have been sure. sensitive I would have been the first it. one <laughs> yeah but like clearly like it sounded good because, you know, like on synthesizers, like on the DX7, you can do these micro tunings where you can have like a different amount of notes to the octave. You know, you can have, you know, whatever, 19 notes to the octave or something. And so you have you have notes in between what the, the normal 12 notes that we all use. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of good expression in there by using these notes that are in between if they're exactly in between in a precise kind of way. And so I guess I was I was out of tune in a way that really worked, you know. 
Because that doesn't sound out of tune to me. But. Yeah, it doesn't sound out of tune to me either. Yeah. Interesting. I'm, next time I listen to Scar Tissue, I'll listen for that. Yeah. I couldn't remember what song it was, but the the, it, it, the guy really went in depth. It was good. It was a good, uh, it's so interesting, people who get into stuff who can look at it in a much deeper way from the outside than, you know, you weren't aware of, you made it and you weren't aware of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Wanted to point out that a lot, a lot of the time, like, cause, as we're talking about these things where something was the source of, I remember it as being the source of something, a lot of the time, it was usually because I'm playing along with so many different things at the time. I'll see a few songs that have all the same thing in it in some way. Maybe it's in a different key. Maybe it's, you know, but I'll see some theoretical sort of theme that a couple of songs have in common. And I'll just be like, oh, that's cool. Those have that in common. I'm going to write one. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. It, It's a lot of the time and I, I might remember it as, one being one but a lot but of the time be, it's more oh, than you one you see it in three different songs like oh i wonder what yeah it- and a lot of the time because i notice it like that thing yeah. you're talking about where you're going like i'm noticing i start thinking like i must be noticing it for a reason i must be supposed to write something like that yeah yeah you yeah because it's the, generally the way my brain works yeah you know? me too like yeah. i feel like if you hear the same thing three times it's like hmm yeah so, something somebody wants me to know this yeah exactly exactly should we look at some guitar parts and some songs from the new albums? Sure. Be fun. Sure. Let's do newest album first. We'll work backwards. Okay. Um, the, Hopefully. I'm... The the first one I noticed was um, on, on my little list was Eddie. Well, Eddie just flea came up. Flea, flea came in with the bass, bass line. And and uh, and I just started playing that melody. I the part I wrote in that song is the bridge. It's still interesting to talk about you, how you hear what Flea's playing and what you choose to play is fascinating because I don't think anyone else would play what you played. Right. <laughs> it's just yeah. As he interesting. came in with that with that bass line, and I came in with the melody. The do you remember, do you remember what the do you remember what the bass line does? I know I know what the tonality of it is. Yeah. Like, but I don't know. And it's I can't interesting. Play it the also, actual bass it, line, but that's the. But bass that line. also sounds more like a guitar part than a bass line. Because I'm playing, I'm making up a guitar part that's oh, the chords. Oh, I, I, I know what he's doing basically implies an F seven, a G six, and I an see, A minor. I see. I see. I see. Like I don't know what he's playing. I understand. One time we did a a sound check where Flea played guitar and I played bass. Yeah. And we played Chili Peppers songs. Yeah. It was so funny. I bet it was great. It was terrible. They were completely different songs. We, you know, we didn't know. We didn't know. No, like we tried to play each other's parts yeah. based on our conception. Yeah, yeah, our yeah. conception of what no the other idea. one's doing. Yeah. And neither of us had any idea what the other one was doing. It was really comical. It's kind of cool though. Yeah. You know, I, I, from, it's my understanding that the, in the police, they all knew how to play all the parts. They could have switched instruments and done a show. That, that maybe that's just a, a fake. I don't know if that's a good or a info. bad thing. I thought it was pretty neat, just that they're that inside. The songs are, I don't know, just weaved together in this way that they're simpler than our songs for sure. But but like, I thought that was cool that somebody would would know it. But like, I'm incapable of playing bass like Flea. Flea's incapable of playing guitar like me. So yeah. it's 
we we have a sort of a vague idea of what the other one's doing you know we're good at listening to each other but yeah we can't play like each other yeah and i i love the way you can complete each other's thoughts in like in this example fleet came in with the baseline yeah. and what you played with it is is not again i don't believe it would be what anyone else would play and that combination is what makes it sound like the chili peppers you know yeah and the same when you come in with something what he chooses to do it never seems like the regular thing yeah yeah so eddie van halen we we'd he, we just found out that he died, I guess, that morning or the night before or something. And then that was our first rehearsal. And that was something Flea happened to have written. So that was what was on all of Did he write lines. it on bass or did he write it on piano? Bass. And yeah, again, the verse, I think I was, we're, we're again doing that kind of thing where where we're in harmony to each other. If you heard just my guitar part, it wouldn't sound like the song. It doesn't sound like the song, right? But, but uh, it sounds like an, I was kind of thinking a of part Fugazi. of, or, it's a part of the orchestration of the song. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess Fugazi must've had a certain amount of things like that. Cause it, cause that, that verse part, it reminds me of Fugazi just that when they would sometimes do these sort of soft sections. I don't know. That's what I was thinking of when I was making the guitar part to that. But I guess I'm just doing that same thing that Flea and I have done a bunch, you know? Well, I feel like it's part of this. It's like, in some ways, it's become the sound of the band, even though yeah. it's still something to, it's a jump off point for it to do a lot of other things. Yeah. But it's a specific thing that you guys do that I don't hear anyone else do. Right. In the same way, like Depeche Mode has a sound that could be part of the Chili Pepper sound is the way that the bass notes and the guitar notes harmonize together to create a chord that is implied, but nobody's playing it. Yeah. Yeah, so that's what we're doing there. And we just needed a bridge, so I think there was a, a face-off for a bridge. And Do you remember what it was? No, I just, I just, it's the bridge to the song. Oh, but I just had that it? idea I, I don't that, remember what that it we is. would just all do, start by doing hits all together, go... Do you have any idea of why that occurred to you coming out of what it's coming yeah, out of? Yeah. It just seemed like the song had such a nice flowy thing. So I thought, what would what would be good for a bridge? I was thinking of Black Sabbath, even though there's no distortion or anything, yeah, obviously. Yeah. But the but, contrast, but the way that they would have going, a new... Boom, but to have the whole band do those hits together and leave these big spaces, I just thought that was like a Sabbath-y kind of thing to do. Which is weird that that was what I was thinking because because I, I really wasn't listening to Sabbath while we were for some reason that's not, like all the records since Californication I was always listening to Sabbath like this album these two albums I wasn't listening to them just Ozzy I was playing along with sometimes the first two Ozzy albums but but like I can't think of what song of theirs that that does that but but yeah I just thought like have something where the whole band is punctuating the, the this this chord progression doing them as stabs all together, and then for the second half of the bridge, play it as a groove instead of stabs. Cool. And it's cool that it the idea of looking for contrast in a song, that the most interesting thing that you can do in the middle of a song that 
needs another part is not necessarily the thing that obviously goes with what came before it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. To do something different. Like, and it's also, as I listen to these chords by themselves, like I knew that if Flea was playing the roots of those chords, like, like that these chords would sound good. They're, they're, they, they sound pretty like partial. Like it sounds strange to have that open string there, but, but with the bass, it ties it all together, you know, like I, and I had a, I had a feeling that it would, you know, also probably sounds weird on acoustic, but, um, Bella. So yeah, there, there's a, there's a song. Um, well, basically Flea came in with the verse to Bella and it'd be cool if I could find this, but, uh, So this this is a song by a group called Black Heat. The the it's a really cool funk groove and it's in seven four, which is like and Flea came in one and that's just something that I'm into because I collect that kind of music and like I really I thought that was you know a cool song. But Flea came in with a funk groove and he didn't realize it was in seven four. I was gonna say if you didn't count it, I wouldn't have realized that was in seven four. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's so it's seamless. Such a good, yeah, it's such a good groove. Yeah. And so Flea came in with something in 7-4, and I immediately thought of that song. I was like, oh, this is great. Like, we can do a funk song in 7. And so worked that out with the with the drums. Like, I've made a lot of my electronic music in 7-4, and uh, my friend Aaron has made, who I make electronic music with, has made a ton of music in 7-4. So it's real familiar to me at this point. Like, aside from the, being into progressive rock when I was growing up, like... In the last 12 years, I've spent a lot of time in that time signature. So I was showing, I was showing Flea, like, well, see, there's, there's two main ways that you can break this up. It can be a bar of four and a bar of three. But how I hear this groove is that it should be a bar of three and a bar of four. Like, uh, I see the drums, like, being like one. uh, I don't know if I can play it and say it, but one, two, three. Two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Three. Four. So cool. Yeah, so it's just, it's just a, that's why, like, nothing sounds weird about it because three sounds pretty natural to people. Four sounds pretty natural to people. It's just the two ones next to each other. They just happen to add up to seven, you know? Yeah. So we had that groove, and then the chorus came from uh, just doing a face-off, and, and yeah, I just went in the other room. This may be one of the ones. There's somewhere, like, I don't understand the uh, underpinning, musical underpinnings. Like, I don't know that, I didn't know that it was 7-4. And I know then when I was when I was working with Anthony on the vocals, there were some cases where it's like for the sake of the vocal, we would try to shorten something. And if when you try to do an edit and it's not 
the way you think it is, yeah. it creates havoc. <laughs> and but we didn't we didn't know it going in because it doesn't right. sound like it doesn't sound like a weird groove. It sounds like yeah. very straightforward. Yeah. Until you try editing it based on oh the vocal's going to continue hanging and it pauses, then we come into the chorus. Can't do it. You know, like it just it 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 goes crazy. Yeah. And it doesn't make sense because yeah. it seems so normal. Right. Until you try changing it. Right. So yeah, so and that's the same way that that Black Heat song is. Their chorus is in 4/4. Four, four. Like the rest of their songs in 4/4, four, four. it's just that verse groove that's in 7, and that's the way our song wound up being as well. So really, you know, Flea hadn't heard the Black Heat song. I just yeah. knew it, it it just the second I heard him come in with a funk thing in 7/4, I just thought of that song. And yeah, so It might be kind of hard to play on this guitar, but, but... Yeah. Was it obvious to you that the... In the chorus, there's a A half and a B half, that the B half would be the lower half instead of starting with the B half and then doing you the mean A in half. the vocal? No, in what you just played. No, I... It's just the intonation's not great, but... Oh, yeah, that's the way I do it. It's like... Is that what you're talking about? The, I think so. Right. I, I'm just, you know, I think ever since by the way time, like when I write chord progressions, I'm thinking of it as almost as if it were voices in harmony. Like, so, so it's, it's, I'm, there's a melody a lot of the time in there that's being implied, you know, like when I play that solo at the end, yeah, I'm just playing what I hear as being the melody that's already implied in the chord progression. I see. It's just you're hearing it with other notes so it so you don't hear it the same way. But one of the ways that that heavy metal, you know, Eddie Van Halen playing wound up influencing by the way was because I there's a lot of chords on there where I'm doing really difficult stretches to to do everything I'm trying to do between the chord and the melody that's weaving in and out of the chord. Mm-hmm. And uh so there's a lot of stuff that's like challenging guitar-wise. If somebody who doesn't play guitar heard it, they, or even somebody who does play guitar, you might not think of it as something that sounds difficult to play, but it's actually a really awkward stretch, which Eddie Van Halen was known for, but it sounds like he's doing a big stretch because he's doing sort of fancy lead playing and stuff. But So to me, that, that chord progression is just sort of me hearing chords more like a group of melodies as opposed to a chord progression. So like if you broke it down, it's a pretty simple common chord progression, but between the ways that I'm inverting the chords and the fact that Flea's playing notes in the bass that aren't that wouldn't wouldn't normally be the notes that the bass would do on those chords, a person with a good ear for chords like me wouldn't necessarily know what they're hearing because yeah. the inversions are the thing that sort of an inversion meaning you you 
turn the chord around, the lowest note in the name of the chord isn't the lowest note in the chord anymore. Some other note is the lowest note. So it throws your ear off. So it's like it's like sliding, let's say, half an octave. If you could play a chord in one octave or you could play it in an octave up, you're playing it in between those two. In between, exactly. So like and so consequently with that kind of thinking, you can do you you can play chords that are, are actually far apart, but play them uh, so they sound like they're right next to each other. So like if I went That actual, if you went by the chord name and just played the the roots in the right way, that would be like. Big jump. Or. Big jump. That's with no inversion, but doing an inversion. Right next to each other. Yeah, they're right next to each other. So you play little games with that between... You can often do things like the bass stays on one note, but the chord is moving because mm-hmm. those two chords happen to have a note in common and it works for the bass to stay on one note mm-hmm. even though the chords are changing. Just little like tricks like that. It's what I noticed the Beatles did that a lot when we were making By the Way, and so I just started getting really into like sort of tricking the ear of the listener by by being clever with inversions and stuff. Super cool. I can't remember the, the working title, but there's a song on the record called Roulette. Do you remember what the working title was? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Roulette was that one that started here in the studio in, in the other room where me and Chad and Flea were playing, and Flea's just playing like a funk bass line. Like, he's playing some kind of funk groove, and then I was going... Mm. So this one came out of a jam in the room. Yeah, so we were jamming and Anthony came up to me and he was like, what are those chords that you're doing? And I said, just just Genesis type chords. (laughs) Because that chord sequence that I'm doing, the reason I'm able to write something like that is because I've done a thorough study of Tony Banks' keyboard playing in Mm -hmm. Genesis Mm -hmm. uh, and I know his style pretty well. And so anytime I want, if somebody's playing... Uh, if the bass is just staying in one basic tonality, if the bass is just playing a, a, in one mode, one key, I can improvise chords all over the place really fast and stuff that modulate. And that most guitar That's, players wouldn't play because it really is a keyboard technique. It's a keyboard. Yeah, it's it's the mind of somebody who knows classical music really yes, well. Yes. And and uh, and understands that like like most guitar players, you would never think if the bass player is playing. Because that chord progression actually has a G major chord in it. You just wouldn't think if the bass player is centered on F sharp, you just wouldn't think that is one of the chords that you could play. But if it's got a flow to it, and it resolves in the right way, you can, you know. And that's yeah. what Tony Banks playing has taught me that, you know. That's even cooler is that it's classical knowledge through a keyboard player <laughs> yeah. transposed into guitar. Yeah, I understand classical music better from learning Tony Banks stuff than I do from any other source. It's amazing. Know? Yeah. 
he makes those types of modulations so apparently simple sounding, you know? And do you think he's doing it, if you're guessing, that it's an intellectual thought or it's just, this sounds good. Like, I just know how to play and this is what I would play. Or do you think it's like a computation? Well, he definitely developed the style gradually, like the very first Genesis singles, he's not playing that way yet. He was really into Keith Emerson from The Nice, who was doing classical things in the in like 66. He was starting to incorporate, 67, he was starting to incorporate like classical ideas into a rock framework. And Tony Banks just wound up with his own way of doing it. But they Genesis had like, they, for a while, they're a progressive band, but then they had hits where he's still playing in, in that kind of style. He just really figured out how to, of all the progressive bands, Genesis, I think, made the best pop music when they decided to go pop, you know? Mm-hmm. And he just had a really good mind for figuring out how to simplify things that are very complicated, you know, or that used to be complicated before he did what he did to them, you know? Like something like, they had a hit, this song called Turn It On Again, that goes... He's changing keys, but the bass isn't changing keys. It's so fucking cool. And, and uh, yeah, it's just an example. When you That song's in an odd time signature. The keyboard's modulating, the bass is not... This was a huge hit when I was a kid. When I was yeah. like 12 years old, I heard it on the radio. I was like, whoa, what is that feeling? You know, I never heard that feeling in a song before. Yeah. At the same time, my dad was a classical pianist, so like uh, I had a reference point for it, you know. But that music spoke to just everybody, you know. It's so- interesting when um, the complex can be presented in a simple form and compete with something simple. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. It's... it's uh, it's interesting. And and I again I don't I wonder if the people who are making this are trying to make something complex sound simple or if they're just playing music the way they hear it. No, cuz he he was Genesis made an effort to simplify like because because when Peter Gabriel was in the group and for the first couple albums after Peter Gabriel left the group, their music is is intentionally complex and the songs are long and 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 uh there's no there's no verse chorus verse type things are very rarely is there and they just made an effort to simplify but he retained a lot of these aspects of the essence of his style and it he just made it work as pop music but there was definitely a clear it it was definitely clear that he at that point he made an effort to simplify but even in the progressive stuff compared to beethoven or something it's it's simple and he probably doesn't I get the impression he doesn't think of his knowledge of classical music as being particularly broad, but mm-hmm. I think, you know, compared to someone like me, it is. You know? <laughs> so yeah, all through that early Genesis, and I say early, I mean the Peter Gabriel era Genesis stuff, he's doing things in that same style as he does on that Turn It On Again song. It's just, but it's more long-winded. It's not not as repetitive. It goes further. We'll be back with the rest of Rick's conversation with John Fashante after the break. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs, on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position, 
warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242-424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer helped shape the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed The Boar's Nest, Sue's Place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, would spur each other on to tap into something bigger, realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Bacharach as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash, alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. In the 1980s, Frank Farian was riding high as a successful German music producer, but he was bored. German pop was formulaic, dull, and oh so white. Frank had bigger dreams, American dreams. He wanted to create the kind of music that would rival larger-than-life artists like Michael Jackson or Run DMC. So he assembled a hip-hop duo, two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? One very important element was missing, but Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's biggest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Farian and Ingrid Segui, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Follow Blame It on the Fame wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free by joining Wondery+. Plus. We're back with the rest of Rick's conversation with John Frusciante. We'll just do one more song, and it's not its not a recent song, but it's a song I always loved of yours. Um, I don't even know where it is. Oh, can I... Yeah. Uh, well, we don't have to go over the chorus of that, but that roulette is... A roulette has that chorus, but... but show me, show me. Um, That, that's another kind of modulation thing. So, like, the chorus 
both halves of it end differently, but both feel like modulations. You think you're just doing a, a real simple chord progression that you've heard a zillion times, but you don't expect this chord to come in. And that takes it somewhere else that also you've heard a million times. And then, and then, but, but you don't expect them to be together, you know? Yeah. And then, uh, and then this time it ends differently. So again, it's because modulation is just when I'm writing chord progressions, it's what's interesting to me. And especially that you can do it in a way that's, doesn't sound like you're trying to be fancy. David Bowie used to do it all the time in really in ways that were really simple. And so a lot of the time when I write songs, that's what's going to make me think that something's interesting. Uh, it adds a dramatic layer to it. Right. That's really interesting. It reminds yeah. me of like 60s instrumental music. Yeah. And at the same time, like punk songs, because they're all major chords a lot of the time, they're often doing modulations within themselves just because of which major chords they're sticking next to each other. Like, it's not like it's just a thing coming from progressive rock and people who understand classical music. Like, like, like... That, that has a modulation. You, you would expect the... Like that, you would expect the G to be a natural G, but because it goes... It, that's a modulation right there. It's a, that last chord is a little like unexpected, just because that's a Ramones song there. <laughs> but I'm just showing how like three simple punk chords still have have the modulation uh, in them. You can do it in really simple ways. Yeah. The other song I wanted to ask you about was the um, the death song. Oh, my song, dying song. Yeah. Right. It's so good. Uh. Yeah, again, it's because I'm listening to the Beatles all. Uh, yeah, that, that I'm that I'm seeing how to go take these these chords that were strange that I might not have understood how to find a context for before that. I was starting to like see how to use them. They sound normal when you hear the flow of them, yeah. but but. Uh, there was a time when I would just be like, I don't know what to do with that chord. Yeah. <laughs> you know, after a while I understood, oh, okay, if, if you're in a key a whole step lower than that and you're just playing a minor kind of predictable thing, that chord can work. And then augmented chord can be, yeah. So I don't know. I just that's, that's written at the same time, I guess, as By the Way. Mm. It was like a four-track recording I'd made at that time, and you tried to get the Chili Peppers to do it, and I wouldn't. And I wouldn't do it. I don't it. even remember. Yeah, yeah. So we were. I in, love that song. Yeah, we were in the studio for "By the Way," and you were like, "Why don't we do it in the band?" And I told you, like, "No, I have to keep my solo music separate from the band." <laughs> I remember this now. Yeah, like, like. Uh, yeah, because it was like you wrote this beautiful song. You write beautiful songs for the band. I don't understand. Yeah. No, but I, I, for some reason, I had it clear in my head that when I, when I rejoined, that like, once I realized that I could write songs again, yeah. I was like, 
I'm going to keep my solo music separate, like stuff that I write for the band. Like basically it was anything I wrote lyrics to was me, my music. I see. So if I was inspired to write lyrics to something, I considered that my music. And if the idea was basically just a chord progression or just a melody or just a riff or whatever, then that was for the band. And and if the band was writing a record, I generally wasn't writing lyrics. Like lyrics were something I more did on tour. Right. Like like because I wanted to make sure that the band got my best stuff, you know, while we were writing a record. Yeah. So but that was written prior to having written by the way, I guess. Or, I was also curious to see what the band version would sound like, which I never got to hear. Yeah, I mean <laughs> I had no idea what it would be it like. It was sung in a kind of a high falsetto voice, so it didn't really seem like something that would be natural for Anthony and you were saying like switch it to a different key. But it wasn't just just like how I told you there was those certain bands that I didn't play along with um, yes. their stuff. That wasn't so much that I thought it would be a good idea to be honest. I was superstitious about it. I see. Like like I understand. Uh, it came to me that it would be a good idea to have a couple of things that that you never play along with since you play along with everything that you yeah, like just yeah. just leave leave that breathing room for yeah and it just felt like something inside me was telling me to do that i completely understand and, and it was the same with my solo music it was like to keep your head on straight you should have this music that you do that's not a part of this machine yes. you know that's yes. not a part of this personality, these personalities, yes. that's not a part of their career, that's not a part of, you know, that you should have a side of your musicality that's separate from all that. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, in retrospect, it turned out to be a good thing because I had, I had a writing path that never got, it never got, like, mushed up with the band in the way, yeah. that, like, it's like some people... Like when the when the songwriter sort of is the band, yeah. You you never you never got lost in the band. Yeah, exactly. I I think there was a fear of that, and there was the desire to always know that I had a place that I could go that didn't have anything to do with with all the things around being in a popular band. It was like a it was like having a, having a little sacred temple or something, you yeah. know. Just and so. Yeah. Like you could, you could have never talked. Like you tried, but like you would have never. No matter how much you tried, you, no matter how good your arguments would have been, yeah. nothing would have overridden. No, I'm glad. No, I'm yeah. glad that that's the case. Yeah, because I've been able to. You know, not everybody who's in a band is able to do that. I've been able to have a sort of a musical, several musical lives, completely separate from the band, without that ever interfering. For with, sure. With what I do with the band, I'm always able to. When I am playing with the band, I'm completely like immersed in it and it feels like now there have been cases where like my cigarette is a song that started as a solo piece of music i think that's it's, actually flea's song it is yeah so how did that start what do you um, remember of the story of that? flea made a drum beat on his phone and then he played bass to it and he played a synth he played a, a synthesizer over it and so cool and so yeah, because I my plan was to have no drum machines, no synthesizers. Yeah. I just wanted to play guitar. Flea brought that in, and when we did it in the studio, I programmed all the drum machines and synths and stuff, but I'm basically doing just the better sounding version of what Flea's doing, kind of like what we were saying yeah. about Depeche Mode's earlier yeah. demos. It's just like, I just programmed it more skillfully, like, like uh, made better synth sounds and stuff, but Flea 
Fleet played it on my DX7, and I was turning the sliders because I had I'd made a sound that I could sort of modulate in subtle ways while while he was playing. So we cool. were actually like both at the keyboard at the same time, him playing it and me moving the sliders when he did the basic. Uh, what is it? That's my son's favorite song on the album. <laughs> something like that yeah and and so so yeah so like it's such a funny song it's such an unusual song yeah some of the synth overdubs were things i thought of but even some of the overdubs were things like flea was sitting here and he was like what if you just have a part that does straight rhythm just one note and then i converted that into a into a synth part on the modular but yeah there there were other drum machine things like drown or the drummer started uh, it used to be called drown and that started with drum machines with at my house with me doing it and the slow rodeo song that's and the slow it. rodeo one also was drum machine at my house but my studio got torn apart because i had to move out of my house just a couple of months into the writing so i thought we would do a lot more of that like do like weird electronic ver- even after we'd written songs my idea was that we would do a weird electronic version of it just to see what happens yeah and it could even be a part of the song yeah that you never yeah. know what what you could wind up it's doing with make weird electronic demos but we wound up i was i wound up being basically homeless for the whole time we were making the record so mm-hmm. i didn't really have a studio so i think those are the only songs that oh black summer had a had a demo with a breakbeat did it? Yeah. Wow. Uh, I don't think I ever heard that. Yeah, you heard it when, when we were recording it. We listened to it, and you talked to Chad. We were talk. Uh-huh. You talked to Chad about how to get the drums groove to be more like the breakbeat. Oh, cool. Yeah. I have no no recollection. Yeah. It's so funny. It's like it literally happens in the moment, and then it's like it never happened. I think we realized we were playing it too fast. Mm. I think the demo made us realize that we had to get into a funkier groove with it and it's not a funk song but it needs to have a, a sort of a funk groove at, at the core of it and i, I think, think also because we recorded like 50 songs yeah it was all hard. a blur yeah yeah for me i have these memories because i'd been living with them for longer than mm-hmm. you like black summer was the first thing i wrote for the but for, still like 50 new songs it's impossible to grasp no you know, i they couldn't just get my head around it. each other it was so weird because like normally making a record even when we made Stadium, where we had, you know, maybe 30 songs or something, I was able, when I was playing guitar solos and overdubs, to go, okay, this will be the one that I do this little trick on. This will be the one that I play in this style on, you know. When when you have less songs, you can cover all your bases and you know, like, okay, I've, I've, done, the, I've done this thing that I do on this one. I've done that thing that I do on this one. When with this album, there was no way for me to know what I had done. I couldn't tell if I'd even repeated myself. Like I had to. No, it's so much information. Yeah, it's so much information. Yeah, I was really relieved when I realized I hadn't played the same solo on two songs, you know, or done the same riff on on two songs because it's it's uh, it was just too many to have your head around at once. Yeah, it's amazing. I still can't believe Anthony wrote all those words i know i know it was like 48 tunes yeah it'd be like soon. yeah four or five normal albums yeah yeah that it's was unbelievable. so much work and the words are great he did so good i kept expecting him to stop and i kept wanting to 
stop the writing process earlier. Yeah. Like, like, like thinking like, know. I don't want to overwhelm him. These are good songs. Yes. I want him to, yeah, yeah. I want him to write lyrics to them. I don't want him to get overwhelmed, but we just kept writing more and more. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm a big proponent of keep writing because you never know. Like you never know when the best song's gonna come. So yeah. if you stop, it's like they don't always come. You know, you you've never written this many songs before. Right. So it's we know it doesn't always happen because it's never happened before. Yeah. But if they're coming, you gotta get them. Yeah. <laughs> Whether you decide to use them now or not, it's fine. But when they're coming, you gotta get them. Yeah. Because they, they you won't write the same songs at an, at another time. It's true. You'll never that, write those songs again. Yeah. It's something that's come from electronic music for me, though. Like, I, I used to think of it like you're talking about, you know? Yeah. And now I just, I think of it like, kind of like what we started talking about. Like, I can make songs to order. You know, like when Anthony liked that, that one chord progression that we used for roulette, just went in my room that night and wrote a chorus to it. Or, you know, or, or when when I was thinking... I think we need another heavy song, and I wrote that uh, nerve flip. That, yeah. like, 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 I just felt like that sludgy kind of feel. I was like thinking about what we had, and I was like, we don't have anything like that. And yeah. I was listening to Flipper and stuff, yeah. and, and just like, like. Uh, I just listened to Flipper the other day on my beach walk. It was so much fun. Yeah. So electronic music, the fact that I can sit down and just start making break beats or just yeah. start programming a drum pattern, yeah. just start making synthesizer sounds, not parts necessarily, pretty soon a song just comes. I I just sort of, I think of the guitar the same way, you know, like, like when I stopped writing, I honestly thought I was doing the best because I stopped writing songs like three times when we were writing these songs. I remember. And, and, it, was, and it was just like... I just felt that I was doing the best thing for Anthony to have the best to, to give to give the songs the best chance of Anthony writing over them. Yes, and I had no idea that he would, you know, write forty-eight full sets no, of lyrics. I remember even down. I thought to it would the be too many. Where there were one or two left, and he's just like, "I gotta get him." Like I don't. And he would say, "He's like, I don't really have an idea," but but he was so wanted to get everyone because he loved them. It was so beautiful and it was so it was such a beautiful like outpouring from him and the yeah. lyrics were so good like like it it wasn't like he'd done an assignment or something there was no. like so much heart so much self yeah. like that's something for me as a rock songwriter like I've never been able to put my heart out there so much as Anthony does to put myself out there to make myself vulnerable to that degree yeah. uh some people might disagree but that's 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 where I feel like my shortcomings are as a lyricist of rock music. It's just like Anthony has this rare talent of being able you you're really in in his head when you're hearing him. He's really putting himself out there for you and, yeah. and making himself and vulnerable. Some of it's so heavy or heavy. so sad. Sad. It's unbelievable. And it's yeah. not a it's real. It's like yeah. he's feeling it. And we get to hear it. Like, we get to hear what's in his head. It's unbelievable. Yeah, when I started doing the backing vocals and really reading the lyrics as opposed to just hearing them yeah. more for, to hear what he's doing more so than what he's saying. Yeah. Whew, yeah, like, it was intense. Like, like Got him in good shape for the road, though. You know, five months, whatever it Yeah, was. no, he's been kicking ass on the road. But yeah, do, do you know that Negative Trend record? Uh-uh. That's Will Shatter's band before Flipper. Yeah, I never heard it. 
Oh my God. Is that, it great? Yeah, it's a single. Okay. It's really good. And I'll check it. His his bass is so good in it and the, the songs are so good. Really like top notch punk songs on Ooh, that. I'll check it out. I remember the name negative trend and I remember that they were like a popular band. Yeah, that's his band before Flipper. Yeah. And and yeah, his vibe is like all over it and they're really good songs. One of the songs was covered by an LA artist, Rick L. Rick, I think covered Meat House. Mm-hmm. I got to hang out with him in San Francisco. It was Rick L. Rick? No. Oh, Will Shatter. Will Shatter. Yeah. yeah. No, I know. Remember you used to tell me that I reminded you of him? No. You don't remember that? No. No, when when you came over to my house, you you brought the Flipper record with you and you gave it to me and you said um I used to have this friend that was in this band, he died. When I'm with you, I feel like I'm with oh, him. I see. I see. And and that was all you said and I and you wanted to see if I liked the record and I put it on. I'd never heard it before. And yeah. I was like, I love this. <laughs> this is great. Yeah. But I never knew what you were talking about. And I've always wondered that thing that you were seeing in me that you related to him, was that gone by the time Californication? I think so. That was only me at that time, I right? I think so, yeah. And it's just a spiritual thing, not a, not a, it wasn't, was it something about how we looked? Was it, had, it had nothing to do with physical. Right. Nothing physical. Right. Was more the energy, right? Yeah, and it may have had to do with um, practices at the time. <laughs> no, no, because I wasn't doing heroin. I'd oh, never done heroin at that I time. See. Yeah, I don't know. It was just an energetic feeling of just yeah. like, like that there was something else going on. Hard to explain. Right. Hard to explain. Yeah, that shit that was going on in my head. Then I'm sure other people experienced it, but it was really just impossible to explain to people what's happening. Yeah. Sometimes I used to think, like, you know, you get goose pimples like on your arm or sometimes on your head. It was like they were in my brain. Yeah. It was a really like strong reaction to everything, not just pictures. It was all kinds of things. It mm-hmm. was really intelligent voices. It was those things like goose pimples in my brain. It was just these explosions of like, movement of shadow and light and things like that that had this form that not only did they inspire me when I was making music but like when I made music that changed the picture so whatever I did changed the movement of the shadows and you just had to sort of stay aligned with it and it's one of the reasons that I was able to do something then that I've never really been able to do since is play totally fucked up and wrong and have it sound right I could do it if I stayed in connection with that stuff yeah. those patterns in my brain mm-hmm. and uh ever since I, you know i regained all kinds of talents and more but that was something i've never really been able to be that like out yes and, and sound good yes, sound yes yes sound like yeah like i'm doing it on that first solo record of mine that you released yeah and i've never been able to play like that since yeah. and he has that in his bass playing yeah. like he his it's even on that negative free. trend stuff there these are punk songs with real clear chord progressions and he's playing wrong notes and they sound so right yeah like they sound so perfect it would ruin the song if it didn't have them yeah i th- just sometimes people have some tripped out yeah, it's being shit connected having to, to do it in balance. a different way yeah. yeah it's a different connection Still, you're you're showing me examples today on the guitar where it seems like it shouldn't work. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's still. 
it doesn't make sense yet in the context of the song it sounds beautiful yeah yeah i look for stuff like that but yeah it's it's done with a much more organizational part of my brain than Mm -hmm. what that was that was just like whoa what's happening in my head okay and you think it's not luck it's something else oh back then yeah luck is connected to whatever that was that was happening luck is part of it but it's not the whole story I'm saying whatever the power was that was putting that made it possible for my head to be that way that it was then has something to do with luck as well. It's like it controls the universe or mm-hmm. something because I stayed connected to that thing all through the years of being on drugs and there was one morning I woke up and and it had always told me I was safe that I could do anything and I'm not going to die and I tested it. I came very close to dying many times, always got through it got close to being arrested many times, never had a fear of it and never got arrested. There was one morning I woke up and the voice said, your luck's run out. If you go out and buy drugs today, you're going to get arrested. And I got arrested that day. Wow. Yeah. Like, like so it, wow. it, it, what, you know, to be able to do something unintentional and random and have it just work out just yeah. because you're seeing something in your head or something yeah. has something to do with why some people go their whole lives and never break a bone and other people injure themselves all the time. All I know, I, I don't understand it. I just no. know there's some connection between whatever that was, that was my state of mind was those things that were happening in my head that I couldn't explain to anybody and that, that I still can't really explain. There's some connection between that and luck. And I love, I love the idea that, it told you like you had a sense of complete confidence when it was appropriate. Yeah. And it told you, it warned you. Yeah. And it was, it was true. It was right. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. It's wild. It was really weird. There's so much we don't understand. I know. (laughs) There's there's so much. If there's one thing I've learned from all that, that I went through and, in that first half of my life that I, that I can't explain. It's that I don't know anything. No, none of us do. It's the the mistake people make is that they think they know. Yeah. And we just don't know. This is why whenever I hear people getting strongly opinionated about things, or if I've ever had the misfortune to go through a period where all of a sudden I've learned about some new subject and I'm getting cocky about it and stuff, I always know, I feel it in my heart. Like this is wrong. Like, like we, you you sometimes have the illusion that you understand things yeah. and it's really a mistake to believe to take too much pride in that or to Absolutely. or to be, get too cocky about it because you're you're just seeing a little fragment of the big picture you know yeah and that's i think that's all we'll ever see all yeah. we get to see is a little a little piece and that's that little piece that we get to see is enough to keep us going yeah yeah, you see, you see what we all are seeing. Everything we need to see to be, you know. And it's like as, I think it's like a magic trick where I don't know that if we knew how it worked, it'd be better. No, I'm I'm sure that we that it wouldn't be better. I'm sure it would be a lot worse and worse than people could ever imagine. People strive their whole lives to try to figure it out, understand things, and there's 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 no way I can say it other than straight to you, like yeah. that I saw. I saw the big picture of it yes. several times. I was oh, shown I see. it. I see. And 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 it's way worse. Yeah. Like it's yeah. just like like 
we we tend to pick on certain things about the world as being imperfect. Yeah. And, and we don't know what imperfection is. Yes. It could be so much worse life. Yeah. It's so good. Life is so good. <laughs> I'm I'm it's, very uh, thankful to be here. Yeah, me too. I'm thankful to be here. Yeah. And I'm thankful to be here with you. It's the best. Yeah, I'm so thankful to be here with you too. Well, I feel like we still aren't done, but we, we have to. We we get to do another one one of these days. It was so good. It's endless. <laughs> you never know where it's gonna go. Oh, thanks so much, Rick. Oh, I love talking to you about stuff. I mean, I love hearing about the music stuff, but the the tangents are so interesting. <laughs> like I'll be up all night thinking about what we talk about. Right. I love it. Awesome. As you heard, Rick and John will be back with more conversations soon. In the meantime, if you haven't heard the other episodes in the series, make sure to check those out, including episodes with the rest of the band promoting Unlimited Love from back in April. You can hear all of our favorite Red Hot Chili Pepper songs on our playlist at brokenrecordpodcast.com. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash brokenrecordpodcast, where you can find all of our new episodes. You can follow us on Twitter at brokenrecord. Broken Record is produced with help from Leah Rose, Jason Gambrell, Ben Tolliday, Eric Sandler, Jennifer Sanchez, our editor Sophie Crane, our executive producer is Mia LaBelle. Broken Record is a production of Pushkin Industries. If you love this show and others from Pushkin, consider subscribing to Pushkin Plus. Pushkin Plus is a podcast subscription that offers bonus content and uninterrupted ad-free listening for $4.99 a month. Look for Pushkin Plus on Apple Podcast subscriptions. And if you like our show, please remember to share, rate, and review us on your podcast app. Our theme music's by Kenny Beats. I'm Justin Richmond. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. This is your chance to reignite some old musical passions or pick up an instrument for the first time. Connect with more than 100 of the world's best teachers and musicians. You'll get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 a month, less than a single private lesson. I mean, why do we do Broken Record? Not just because we love hearing from great musicians. We do it because we think that there is something beautiful about the appreciation of music. Don't you think we need more of that in our lives these days? That's the mission of Musora, to inspire, educate, and connect musicians. Enjoy unlimited personal support, weekly live streams, student lesson plans. It's like having a personal music teacher, only much, much better. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com, to start a new musical journey today. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. 
What could Future You do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. 